In this episode, we continue my conversation with Alina Tugend. Get excited because this is Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. Another episode of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas, and in this episode, we jump into part two of my conversation with Alina Tugin. Now, if you don't remember or if you didn't listen to part one, uh, I highly recommend you go back and listen to part one. Alina is an author and a journalist. She's the author of the book, Better by Mistake, The Unexpected Benefits of Being Wrong. She's also written for numerous publications, including The Times, The Atlantic, O, The Oprah Magazine, Family Circle, and Inc. Magazine. So she is just a wealth of wisdom when it comes to this topic. She spent a lot of time doing the research so that we can learn from it. And in this conversation, we are diving deep into the contents of the book and the lessons she learned along the way. So without further delay, let's jump back into my conversation with Alina Tugend. This idea of the way that we talk to our kids and the language we use, what we praise them for affecting the way that they view mistakes how can we as adults start using that to ourselves, this idea of self-talk and, and what we sort of praise ourselves for? Okay. So first of all, I just want to make it clear. I don't love mistakes. You know, people right. often ask me, so how do you feel about mistakes now? I don't love them. I still get annoyed with myself <laughs> while I'll cry about them. You know, it's not as if, oh, that was a great mistake. But what I have learned, first of all, is some mistakes just happen. Typos happen. You can have yourself. I've learned that yourself and four editors read it and something will slip through. <laughs> so what I've learned is too often we do believe we should be perfect. And there is, I know, you know, nobody's perfect is a cliche, but it's really the truth. And we really have to learn to believe it. And I'd like to get back to that idea of perfectionism after I answer your question. Yeah. I think also I have to acknowledge and it's helped me that when I am, if I've made a mistake in something, often it is because I'm taking a big, uh, either a minor or a bigger risk. You know, it can be anything. Let's say I like to play tennis. I'm not a great tennis player. And sometimes I get annoyed when I'm hitting it into the net, you know, during a match or something. Right. You know, but the fact is I'm, I'm, out there playing tennis, you know, even though I could just say, forget it. I'm no good at this and give it up, which I know people do. And I wrote a book that was scary. That was a risk. And it's probably somebody can point out a mistake in this book. So I've kind of tried the combination of nobody is ever perfect. And I think women suffer from this idea of being perfect more than men. And that anytime we're going to try something, it's going to, it's going to, you know, we're going to try something new or something, a little, even if it's not new, something a little out of our comfort zone, something we're not used to, we're going to make mistakes. And the yeah. other thing is also that it's important to look, if something, if nobody likes when they themselves or someone else makes the same mistake over and over. And it's really important to look at beneath that, what's the system that's happening? Why is, is there a reason that you can stop doing that? 
you know, whether it be if, you know, as simple, if you keep forgetting appointments, make sure that you get a beep on your calendar every 15 minutes before it. If right. You misplace your car keys. You have a bowl in the front. I mean, or, or, you know, these are very simple examples, but this is one of the things we talked about aviation. You have to look behind the mistake sometimes to understand what has caused it. And mm. too often we don't do that. One of the reasons, if it's ourselves, maybe we're just too pissed off at ourselves and we don't bother looking at why this keeps happening. Like I kept missing my kid's orthodontist appointment. And that's when I sent up, this was earlier days before it was sort of more automatic. I sent up these alerts on my calendar because it happened two or three times. I thought, what's going on here? It's because they're very short appointments that you drop in for 10 minutes and leave. And I just wasn't putting them on my calendar. Right. But the other thing is also um, that you need to, you know, people are afraid if they tell their boss or their professor or whoever, or even a friend, why this is happening, that it will sound like an excuse. But in fact, there are reasons things happen. You know, I use the example of a woman who is just mortified years later that some cash while she was working in a store, some cash, you know, someone took some cash while she was trying to do five different things and didn't keep an eye on it when she was counting out the cash box. And mm. she was mortified and kept saying, I should have done better. I'm supposed to say an example. But what, the truth was she was completely overworked and left alone. And that was not her fault. And so behind that mistake was real reasons, not excuses. But too often we don't do that. We just say, I shouldn't have made a mistake. And that's the bottom line. Yeah, we've uh, we sort of as a society taken this idea of don't make excuses, just sort of own the, the, the uh, problem, own the issue. We've, we've taken it too far to the point where legitimate reasons and legitimate systems errors that should be fixed are being ignored because we're just rolling it into, oh, well, I should have been better. Exactly. And I think, you know, all these are generalities. We know people who are really annoying, who are always late and then tell you there was traffic. And it's like, well, guess what? There's traffic every night. Right. Not a surprise. That's an excuse. And that's annoying. But if there are very often genuine reasons People need to look behind the mistakes to, you know, one example, this is obvious, but the New York Times, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's last name is often misspelled because it's B-U-R-G, not B-E-R-G. Mm. And I was writing something and this came up. And I think that at a certain point, and probably doesn't exist now, everyone had to put up a little post-it noting that, every copy editor. So, <laughs> That was just a simple way, but after enough times, it was noticed that mistake was getting through, you know? So yeah. every time that name came up, people would have a note that that, you know, be sure to check this out. So I just think we really, we need to examine more thoroughly how a mistake happened. And sometimes it's just because we're rushing and we spill something. I'm not saying every mistake has some deep meaning, you know, and they're going to happen, but enough times we can look behind what happened right. and find out. I mean, Atul Gawande, who's well-known author and doctor wrote the book called the checklist. And I talk about this in medicine, how there's a lot of enormous number of medical deaths caused by mistakes. And one of the things he's found out, he found out this was years ago was a simple checklist. I did this. I checked, you know, I checked on the in, these intravenous drips. I checked this. I made sure the patient's name. I did helped 
reduced these enormously. These weren't interesting medical. These were medical errors, but they weren't caused by someone sawing off the wrong leg. That was very rare. It was because two or three or four things had been skipped over that could have just been done through a checklist. And that's an example. Um, I'd like to talk about perfectionism, but let me know if you wanted to go in a different direction. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to take it next. Um, where do, why do we feel we need to be perfect? Why, why do humans treat ourselves as machines? Well, I do think that's a message society sends as well. I think the idea, remember, was it Nike? Failure is not an option. Right. I may have that wrong. By the way, I wanted to attribute that I was looking for that above the line and below the line mistakes. That was Bill Gore who said Bill that, Gore. The maker of Gore-Tex. So ah, yes. give credit where credit is due. But I think that we, for a number of reasons, but one is very much that, it, especially in American society, we are, we are very, we love success. We're not so interested in failure. We may like seeing other people fail, but we're definitely <laughs> not interested in how we like the idea of overnight successes, especially even though mm-hmm. you may watch a great athlete or someone who you know isn't an overnight success, but we don't think about all the millions of days and hours of practice that went into that. We simply see them as wonderful. And this is one thing Carol Dweck talks about is fixed mindset and growth mindset. And this fixed mindset, and too many of us have it, is this idea that we were born with a talent or we're not. You know, I'm a good writer, you're good at math, whatever it may be, and we can't really improve. Well, it's true people have different talents. I'm not going to deny that. We're not, we don't born, we're not born as blank slates. But mm-hmm. the trouble with that idea is then we believe we can't ever get better at something we're not automatically good at. So there's no point to mistakes if we can't learn. And what Carol Dweck and others who have done her research have found that with a growth mindset, this idea that the brain is pretty plastic that we can learn a lot more than we think that we can. We can become a lot better. You know, I may never be a great tennis player. I'm not going to be playing Wimbledon, but I can become much better with practice and with lessons. Mm-hmm. Then mistakes serve a purpose. And yeah. too often those with fixed mindset, and we can have fixed mindsets about certain things and growth mindsets about other things. We're not always just in one category, but this fixed mindset is very, it is very American. and. The idea is that we're only good at certain things and not good at other things. And that leads us to the idea of perfectionism. We better be perfect at what we're good about. And the interesting thing about perfectionism, there's all gradations of it. So not everyone who has tendencies toward perfectionism Mm -hmm. has this, but those very high and perfectionist traits often do worse on things because they can't stand to hear critical feedback, because they labor intensively over things too much. And studies have shown this, that those high in perfectionism versus those lower in perfectionism, when giving a writing sample to people who didn't know which category they fell in, turned out those higher in perfectionism actually did worse than those lower. Interesting. So perfectionism, I think we sort of think that's a good thing, and when it's there's too much of it, it's not a good thing. I've never really thought about perfectionism as a um, as a spectrum mm-hmm. uh, where you you can be 
higher on that spectrum or lower on the spectrum and depending on where you are is sort of how you respond to things. And I've noticed, at least in myself, and I think this is true for a, a lot of people, uh, when it comes to making mistakes or or even just the general concept of failure, uh, what I'm often most afraid of is less the outcome from that and more the criticism from mm. that. Mm. Uh, have you found anything in your research about why sort of that fear of criticism is there? Um, I think in, I've also written about this since the book and the trouble is most people don't know how to give, well, there's uh, how to give, Proper feedback is one reason. Another reason mm. is uh, I did it in the book. I talk about the difference between like Japanese preschools and American preschools. Mm. And some of these studies were done five, quite a few years ago. So I can't attest that now the same thing exists. But what was so interesting two UCLA scholars did the research comparing the two. And then a few other people have written books is that in younger grades, and it, it's surprising in a Japanese culture, I wouldn't have thought this. Younger grades, the whole thing is about let's talk about why you don't understand this. And even in older grades, it's not about getting the math problem right. There's mm-hmm. more interest in why you don't understand it and what you're doing wrong. So in our country, and again, I'm not saying the U.S. is the only place this exists. It exists in many other countries as well. But I, the interesting thing about Japanese education what at least before you got maybe into high school and higher was it was, it was, there was a shame in getting something wrong. Mm-hmm. And the teacher wasn't supposed, there's the note in a textbook when learning fractions, don't rush in and explain why what the student did is wrong. Let them keep doing it so we can understand all the different ways he or she is making a mistake. And then that way they understand it on a much deeper level and simply being told, no, no, you don't add the denominator to this, etc. Right. We're, you know, we're we don't unfortunately often learn that way. We're learned just this is wrong and this is right. I mean, there's great teachers out there, and I'll tell you, whenever I talk and did radio, I did a lot of radio interviews. Teachers would call in and see how frustrated they were with students. With with they were frustrated, and they saw exactly this fear of making mistakes in their classrooms. And in fact, two teachers adopted part of this book as a curriculum for their third and fourth graders. And instead of calling it fear of mistakes, they called it living with discomfort. And mm. I think that's the thing that teachers so often say they see in their students, this incredible fear and worry that they've done something wrong and it makes them feel so bad that they really want to make it right instead of sitting with it and figuring out why it's wrong. Right. And, just to go back to this this feedback, too often feedback we're given, such as performance reviews by bosses, it's not it's not telling us how to be better. We just see it as either criticism or praise. We don't see it, and that's not our fault necessarily. Too often that's how the feedback is given because people don't people who have become managers often are not taught mm-hmm. how to give. There's a very specific way good feedback is given, and it's rarely done in in workplaces and other places. As we we begin to wrap up here, uh, I'd love to sort of take 
as much as as we sort of discussed here and and what you've uh, learned over the years and try to wrap this up into something actionable for for our listeners what if anything and i i know this is largely minimizing the the scope of uh the conversation but what if anything uh, can we do or what? how can we change the way we think about mistakes in order to build better relationships with mistakes and failures and uh, uh, criticism? I, I think that it is hard. It's really hard. I think we have to. It's not a one time thing. We mm. have to look at ourselves when we make a mistake, see our reaction. We didn't even get into gender differences. Often women beat themselves up endlessly. Of course, this is generalized. Men and women in general beat themselves up endlessly while men tend to become more defensive and try to Mm. say it wasn't their fault. So both of whatever camp you fall into, whether you're man, woman, or you react in either of these ways, look at why you're acting that way. Try to think what, what, what did I do that was so terrible? Why did it happen? Am I trying to be perfect again? You know, people will say, well, but if my boss is going to be angry at me or I'm going to get a low grade, what can I do? And of course, there's enormous societal pressures, but all we can do is try to do ourselves, try to change ourselves a little bit. And often when we're beating ourselves up for a mistake, no one else is doing it. It's just us. Mm -hmm. And we have to look at why we're doing that. And it's not that we're not going to feel bad, but how quickly can we recover from that mistake? How can we try to make sure that we're not doing self-censorship in the future, you know, not taking chances because we're afraid of a mistake and why? And to also understand that because someone criticizes you or says you shouldn't have done that doesn't mean they're right. I understand people's livelihoods can be on the lines, people's, you know, professions and people's, you know, what what they want to do, but that's rarely the case. Most mistakes aren't that terrible. They could also try to read my book and see if that helps them. (laughs) (laughs) Which I highly, highly recommend. Um, Is there any uh, picture that can be painted? And it's okay if the answer is no, but is there any picture that can be painted of what success in this looks like? It, obviously, this is one of those things that uh, our relationships to mistakes and our reactions to the mistakes we make on a day-to-day basis, they're they're invisible, right? They don't necessarily show up in our day-to-day lives as big problems. But what could we expect to see when we start to improve that relationship? Well, I think what I've seen like I said, I don't sit there and embrace them, but I no longer, I mean, it depends, but I rarely feel devastated by them. I, and I accept that if I'm going to try something new, which I like doing, or I, two things, I accept I'm going to make mistakes. I just mm. am. I, I don't like it. I don't like it when it's in the New York Times and they have to run a correction. No matter how much <laughs> I do not like it, it's going to happen. You know, I can't stop it because we're human. And the other thing is, if I am trying something new or want to try something new, that's the price for me. That's making mistakes. I shouldn't say the price because that sounds so negative, but making mistakes have helped me learn in the past. They really have. Mm-hmm. And we need to that. So that's my relationship with mistakes. It's, I don't think we're trying to find some nirvana 
where we happily whistle along every time we make a mistake. But we have to not be crushed by them and not continuously avoid them at the cost of doing anything creative. And and yeah. I know we're I know we're closing up right now, but research has shown people who avoid mistakes learn less deeply and are less creative. That's would you be able to um, uh, uh, send me the link to that research? I'd love to yeah. link that up. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, I've got five final questions for you here, Alina. Uh, but before we do, uh, could you point us to your website and where we can pick up a copy of the book? Sure. It's So it's www.alinatugend. Uh, should I spell it? Uh, yeah, please. A-L-I-N-A-T-U-G-E-N-D. Dot com. You'll see things about the book there. It's available at anywhere you can buy books <laughs> and at your libraries. And awesome. uh, yeah, and you can see more of my work as well on that website. Was there an audiobook as well? Yes, there was. There is an ebook. Awesome. Uh, so alinatugend.com and the link for that, of course, is going to be the, the description of this episode. Uh, so before we jump out here, Alina, I do have five tiny questions for you. They're a little bit silly, but they help us get a better understanding of who you are as a person and where you are at in your life right sure. now. Uh, so the first one is my personal favorite. Do you prefer pens or pencils as your writing utensil? I prefer pens. Uh, so second one here for you. What is your number one recommended book besides your own? Um, I know. And I know this question. And the trouble is I can't because I love reading so much. But I got to tell you, <laughs> my favorite books are on my website. And there's a okay. link there. So there's just too many. I can't do it. But I love this. There's so many I love. Does that list include uh, fiction and nonfiction right. or just nonfiction? And it's not the classics because I start skip them, but it includes fiction. It's divided by fiction and nonfiction. Beautiful. So I will link directly to that. Uh, what is the most valuable habit that you've developed? Wow. Um, the most valuable habit. I think, <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't prepared for that one. I should have been. I think probably... <laughs> I think it's two things. I think saying I love you to my elderly mother, which we never said to each other mm. before. And now I say it every time I get off the phone with her. And sometimes that's all she understands. But I'm so happy <laughs> I developed that habit. That's amazing. Um, what does your morning routine look like? Slow, super slow. I'm a, not a morning. Nobody in my family is a morning person. I get up, I really <laughs> make tea. I'm a big tea person. I okay. have something to eat and I, I still, we still get the print paper and I read the New York times and then I get to work. I love that. Uh, and then finally, what or who are you most valuable for right now or rather grateful for, excuse me. I would have to say family, my husband and my two sons and my extended family. I mm -hmm. have to say in, in this time, especially a pandemic, we got on a Zoom call with 20 relatives because my son couldn't graduate. And I was very grateful mm. they were all willing to stop whatever they were doing and do that for him. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Alina, thank you so, so much for sh uh, sharing your time and your knowledge with us today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Greg.
So the book, again, is called Better by Mistake. You can find it at alinatugand.com or just check the links in the description of this episode. I want to say thank you again to Alina for uh, the work she did with this book. It was very eye-opening to me, and, and I know it will be for you as well, but also for sharing her time with us on this episode. If you haven't already, be sure to click subscribe wherever you're tuning in. And if you're over on YouTube, drop a comment down below. I'd love to get into a conversation with you and learn more about the mistakes that you are making and what your relationship is to them. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Greg Clunas. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day, every day, every day. Every day.